Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 173, Mid and Late Season Public Land Turkey Hunting with Tony Reynolds. And I am your host... And the guy who is making last-second preparations for the NWTF convention. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. But right now, we are 28 days, 13 hours, 42 minutes, and 52 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. Four weeks and a few hours. And actually, when the show is released in four weeks. That morning, I'll be in the woods with a shotgun slung over my shoulder, chasing turkeys. And I know that may make a lot of you turkey hunters up north a little bit jealous, but just know I'll be jealous of you come May 1st when you're still turkey hunting, and I am not turkey hunting anymore in Alabama. So it all works out in the end. So today's going to be a quickie. Because, number one, I'm still trying to wrap up my huge project that I've been working on for you guys for the last six months. And I am so close to having this thing finished. I actually wanted to roll it out yesterday and announce it on today's show, but I can't just yet. So close, yet so far away. My goal, however, is to finish that project today or maybe even tomorrow and quietly roll it out at the NWTF convention, but then have a big announcement coming on next week's show. The other reason today is going to be a quickie is that I am making last-minute preparations for the NWTF convention in Nashville, like I mentioned a few minutes ago. And just like Santa Claus, I'm making my list and checking it twice. I've added basically two times the number of items that I want to accomplish to my list this year because the Turkey Hunter Podcast intern Cameron will be at the show this year to help me out. Last year he was supposed to come and help me out, but he actually got the flu the week before the show and could not make it. So this year I told him no kissing, 
and no drinking after anyone and to wear a mask at work this entire week. And I think he's actually done it. So he's going to be there to help me. And, you know, now that I'm thinking about this, I really need to come up with a new title for Cameron because he's really not interning for me as much now that he has a real nine to five job now that he's in the real world. So here's what I want to do. Cameron does need a new title. And since I have a million things going on right now, I want to see if you guys can come up with a great title for Cameron going forward. So so if you would, tweet your title ideas to me. My Twitter handle is at TurkeyHitman. And come up with a good title for Cameron. And I'm going to sweeten the pot a little bit here. So if you will send me a title and I choose it, then I'll give you a turkey call. The winner gets a turkey call and the contest ends, let's say, Tuesday, February the 20th, 2018 at midnight. And then I'll announce the winner on next week's show. Now, all right, we need to get some rules here. So two rules. Number one, be respectful. And quite honestly, I'd be shocked if any of you guys listening to the show would not be. So that should not be a problem for any of you guys. And number two, make me laugh. So if your new title for Cameron can make me laugh and it's respectful, then your name's going in the hat for a new turkey call. And I'll make that drawing probably Wednesday, but we'll close the contest Tuesday, 2-2018 at midnight. So speaking of contest, one thing that I have on my to-do list for the convention in Nashville is to do some giveaways on social media over the next few days with some of the exhibitors at the convention. So between now and Sunday afternoon, pay close attention to my Facebook page, I Am Turkey Hunting on Facebook, and pay close attention to my Twitter feed, and my handle on Twitter is at Turkey Hitman. You may want to follow me on those two platforms if you haven't already because this is a really good chance to win some cool turkey hunting gear over the next few days. And as that goes along throughout the show, I'll be making posts on Facebook and posts on Twitter to let you guys know what I'm giving away and how you can win it. Okay, lastly, if you will be in Nashville at the convention, then hit me up. I would love to meet you and thank you personally for listening to the show. I've reactivated my Google Voice account and you can actually text me on that number. That number is 205-201-1448. It will be active all weekend long. And you can also DM me on Twitter. And again, that Twitter handle is at TurkeyHitMan. Now, those are the best two ways to contact me. I can't promise I'll be checking messages on Facebook, but I'll try. So Twitter and text messages. Now meeting you guys at that show is one of my favorite things about the show. So I would love to hear from you. Just know this, I may only have a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds to chat because of seminars that I want to cover and interviews that I've got on my calendar, but I will absolutely do my best to arrange a time and a meeting place for us. 
Okay, I've got to get into today's show because it is a long one, and it is chopped full of information. Now, this week I got Tony Reynolds on the phone for another interview, and I got him a little bit fired up, and he got rolling, throwing out tons of information. You guys should remember Tony from episode 170 just a few short weeks ago, where he talked about preseason scouting on public land. So this week, I have Tony on again to talk about mid- and late-season turkey hunting public land, because Tony hunts public land a good deal and has for years. Now, I'm serious when I tell you that I got Tony fired up talking about turkeys with him. So listen in closely. Here's Tony Reynolds with the Reynolds Custom Calls, and I will see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I'm glad to tell you that I have on the line with me today Tony Reynolds once again. Tony Reynolds with Reynolds Custom Calls in South Carolina. And we are going to dig in a little bit deeper with Tony today about hunting public land. And I'm going to do something that I haven't done before, and that is to really pick Tony's brain about some mid to late season public land strategies and I've got some good questions lined up for him at least I think they're good anyway but what I really want to focus on with you Tony is how hunting pressure affects these turkeys and how the breeding season changes affect these turkeys as well so Tony how are you today and where are you I'm fine buddy I'm at right outside my little shop here in Waterloo South Carolina we're Building these calls, getting ready to go to nationals, and we're just kind of running them 16-hour days right now, so it's wonderful to be able to do what you love. Though. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Well, you and I talked for a couple of minutes before the show, and I'm looking forward to meeting you. I met you several years ago at one of the local sporting goods stores, but it has been a long time ago, so I'm looking forward to meeting you again, shaking your hand, and sitting down and maybe sharing a turkey story or two. Same here. I'm always ready to talk to you. Always. (laughs) (laughs) Good deal. Well, let's get into it so I can get you back working. And let me get these questions up here. We was tuning box calls this morning and had one gobbling behind the house already. Did you really? Wow. Yep. That gets me pretty excited to hear that. Oh, me too. Well, I'm going to go pick up some laser engraving a while ago i looked out in a in a field and there was two strutting and three more feeding with two hens so they're kind of i don't know what's going on maybe i hope they don't get you know gobbled out before the season gets going good here yeah yeah no joke well you're the first person that i've talked to that's seen or heard any sign of turkeys being interested in breeding so maybe it's just right well, there I, where I, you are but i don't i wouldn't think so I don't think they're breeding. I just think it's just that today was just the sun came out after that rain, and it was pretty, and the, the green field they planted is already, you know, coming up real good, and I just think they were just enjoying today. I think that's what it was. I think when this cold snap hits again, and, and it does like it do, it's going to it's gonna still postpone them until probably around here, usually about the, about the 1st of March, you can start going out listening and real good. I'm talking about, you know, being consistent. But now sometimes in February, they about on time, about the last week of February, they'll start, you know, kind of kind of changing their, their, their habits a little bit. But I think that 
probably about the first of March, you'll hear them gobbling pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, the turkeys weren't the only ones enjoying the sunshine today. I actually took my lunch and stood outside and ate lunch today because it was just so nice. So, uh, completely. It was cool here, but nice. Yeah, I completely understand the turkeys getting fired up. It was finally nice to see some sunshine. So, before we jump into these questions, tell us a little bit again about Reynolds Custom Calls how we can find you if we want to look at some of your calls and i guess as well it wouldn't hurt to tell us what booth you're going to be in at the nwtf convention in nashville in case anybody's listened to the show happens to be at the convention and wants to come by and look at some of your calls and say hello to you uh yeah we're at we're going to be on the 2000 aisle actually 2016 is our booth space and we're building up, me and the, the guys here at 413, we're, we're building up some new stuff and bringing a lot of the good old stuff. And we're looking forward to meeting everyone. I got a new guy named Chris Jordan. He's a young man that I've kind of started mentoring a little bit, but he is one of the best mouth callers I've ever heard in my life. He's got the best Yelp. And he's wow. designing and creating some of his own cuts and all and we're gonna have jason Busey, who used to be of southland game calls he's gonna be in there cutting and, and demonstrating calls also i've got the new bloodline series of calls that's that's out right now and doing real well and we've got a couple of our guys there that that are coming along real well with the calls and just remember these guys are most of them were without jobs a few months ago and we just brought them in and put them to work and, They've uh, teach them teach them a little bit about building turkey calls and introduce them to to the way we do learning and and, and worshiping the Lord and so it's the ministry part of it is doing real well and of course if you put the Lord in anything it's going to do well. It's hard to argue with that, so I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I agree one hundred percent. Yeah, thank you. Good deal. So but, go oh, ahead. Now, one second, I was just going to tell you. Plus, when we're there, we've got some new calls we would like for y'all to kind of, if you come in, to play around with it and give your opinion of it. we got a new gobble box, and we've got a new scratch box that's old-timey stuff, and we just got through building a bunch of real nice calls for Eddie Salter. So go by and check those out also. So let's jump in and start talking about hunting some turkeys, which I know we're all fired up and ready to get out and do this. Now, I know that from previous conversation with you and from some advice and help that you gave my intern last year at one of the shows, you turkey hunt public land a good bit. And so, again, I want to focus on mid-season and late season, but how different and how much more difficult do you think turkey hunting public land late season is compared to turkey hunting public land in early season well early season the birds are fresh unless somebody's been in there calling to them or you know you know kind of being crazy but that right. i've seen it but they'll get if they've not bothering and not pressured much you you know, even on public land it can be great hunts i mean just like on private land but as the season goes on it, just the pressure uh, you got to remember most of your your public land is national forest land at least it is where I'm from. And the big gravel roads, the birds haven't heard much activity since deer season's closed. So they, they just started back walking. But when they hear that gravel start popping again a lot, 
They know that means humans. I mean, I really believe they associate that with human beings. And they become a little more alert. But first, like I said, the first of the season, you do you can do well as long as you do your homework before the season starts. And you get in there and you don't. The best thing to do is limit your calling because you don't want, until you learn the terrain and the birds that you're hunting, you limit your calling to real, what I call deliberate calling. I just don't start cranking something out. Now, I build turkey calls for a living. I love to play with a turkey call. And I've caught myself many a time sitting by a tree and just calling just to hear that call call. Well, you got to understand, them birds are listening. You're in their front yard. You're in their living room. And they're listening. And you may not even see that little eyeball pop over that hill, but once he associates a human being with that calling, that's going to kind of mess him up for the rest of the season of coming to a call. So limit your calling. Do it deliberately. What you're going to call, know you're calling to the bird when you call. And spend as much time knowing that bird, like we said before, of knowing what what his habits are. Once you figure out the way that bird's moving, if he's moving up and down a certain ridge, going from a certain roost, to a certain grain field or something on the other side, it's a lot easier to get around there where he's going and call him to you than to try to call him away from where he's going. Right. So, so it, but to answer you, on mid-season, they're going to be quiet. They're going to be spooked a little bit more. They're going to be more, they're going to be more deliberate. They're going to be cautious. What I've run into is a lot of the birds on, on public land also has got a lot of predator problems. They know when they're on the ground, if they hammering a lot, they, they take the chances of getting chased by something. So they're, they're a little quieter. But what I found about midway through the season on, on public land and, and, you know, private land, but the birds are going into a transition. Is you got what I call it the pre-breeding season, which is when he's chasing her around and she's feeding and she ain't paying him much attention. She's not breeding. She's, she's not setting or laying. And right. so he'll follow around a lot. And, and, and you can get a lot of, of satellite birds in at that time. I mean, you know, two-year-olds, they make you look good. I mean, I love two-year-olds. But <laughs> you take you take a, you take, and if you hunt a mature bird and he's with certain hens, well, they're going to, throw a, they're going to go through one stage, which is a what I call the, 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 the pre-laying season all the time, because what happens is they're just feeding along and he's following. He's, he's waiting on any day she's going to go in and start breeding. Well, then you go through the breeding time, which that takes is that the bird will follow her anywhere, and she's not going to want him out of her sight because she's going to want to, want to breed to, to, to start that clutch. Well, at that time, she's going to move that bird from that morning feeding area to her nesting area. So what you've got to listen for a lot of times when you what's that bird going way over there? That's nothing but little pines and bamboo briars or whatever. She has probably picked her nest area out. And what she'll do is she'll take him in that area, and she'll lay down and breed. And they say they can breed one time, and it'll do the whole clutch. But I think that they breed a lot during that time because it takes them three or four days to lay that clutch, if not longer. So a lot of times what I think is happening and I've observed is that she'll let him breed and she'll she'll go in that area. Which when she goes to lay a, a egg, she don't slip off. He follows her right there by that nest. When she sit, when she's laying those eggs or setting, he'll strut back and forth right in front of that nest. He won't move. And that's when you hear a bird. Where'd he go? And you hear him steady gobbling, but he's not moving. And you will automatically will say, well, that's a strut area. He's in a strut area. Well, no, he's looking at his hand laying right there. And I've seen them get up off that nest and lay back down in front of them again and then breed her again right there at the nest. She'll crawl right back up on the nest. And so she keeps him there. Well, what happens is after that, you've got what's called the post, I call the post 
breeding time, she's laying. And so she's in, got her clutch, and she's laying, and he's still bothering her. Well, she'll lead him off, and then she'll take off running and leave him. Now, he knows where that nest's at. But if you've got one that's going in a certain area, and he's gobbling and not moving, if you'll get, you know where he's roosting, if you can get between there and where you've heard him gobbling, and, and I have found the nest that the hen's on. She's on, I've run her off a nest before, and I'd back, I didn't mean to, just walked up on her, and I realized what was going on. I just backed up the next morning. I come in sitting there at that nest. Well, the turkey was gobbling where the hen was still on the nest. Well, I just sat right there, and it wasn't long. I hear spitting and drumming. He strutted right up to her. And, of course, that was the last he saw. But anyway, that's <laughs> just, that may not be the most ethical way you want to hunt it with hunter ethics that's because you're going to spook her off, and she's probably going to break some eggs. But if you can back it up and get away from that, but t- that gives you an understanding of what he's doing, what, what what's going on right there, because he's made. But now, she, once he, she's not letting him breed anymore, he'll start looking for other hens. And that's that. That's the later part of the season that I enjoy so much because once you, you hear him gobbling, he'll start gobbling in the morning, and he'll go looking around, and he'll gobble it all day long until he finds another hen. Mm-hmm. So that's the best time. And to me, that's the three stages, even on and, I, and especially on public land because it's so much land that you'll locate a bird and he's in that area. And that's But if you hear him just kind of in the morning gobble one time and shut up, and then he'll go off, and then about 10 o'clock, you hear him gobbling a lot in one spot. And you move up there, and you go, this is a, don't look like a turkey. You know, like a, a hardwood ridge where you can see a strut zone, a pasture. Right. You know, or a, a field or something, a food plot. Usually, you'll know where he's at in there because, he, yeah, he's out there strutting in that food plot, look, waiting on a hen. But if he's off in somewhere a little thick and he's gobbling a lot, well, he's just, he, he's so fired up, waiting for her to crawl off that nest and breed, that he's just gobbling. And that's that's hmm. at least you know where he's at. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't heard that, and that's you know it it makes some sense that he knows where a hen is and knows that she wants to breed because she's been breeding. So you know he gets in those those areas where she is, but she's sitting on the nest, so he gets kind of fired up. That's that's pretty neat. Yeah, they. So if you've ever seen them? If you've ever seen them, a hen when she's when she's breeding. That's when she you hear her jump on a gobbler because he's gobbling to you. You'll be yipping to him, and she'll get mad. She'll peck him in the head. She'll go peck him in the head. I mean, people's like, I mean, I've watched it happen. And then she'll got to take off out the bottom of the pasture, and he's gobbling at you, telling you to come join them, and they go straight away from you. She's headed getting him away from you because she's got to finish her clutch. Right. Yeah, that's happened more times than I can count on hands and toes. Oh, yeah. End carrying that gobbler off, carrying him away from where I'm sitting and calling. It's something I think we all fight multiple times a year. Yes, sir. So what are a few of the adjustments that you make in your approach to public land birds during the late season compared to the early season? You you mentioned one, and that's, you know, really to kind of transition from those open feeding areas to more of nesting areas and start looking in, in those types of areas there for for turkeys but what other adjustments do you make from late season I, or in the late I, season compared to early season yeah late season you you really birds that you've heard early in the season you don't know if they're dead or they just moved you know someone's in shot you know harvest them but you right. a lot of times what i do is i look for tracks i'll get along to walk the creeks and listen in the morning, start out early in the morning where you've heard of them in the early season. And if you don't, I'll walk those creeks, those clear-cut roads, 
you know, anywhere that they can leave track strut, strut sign and find out which one's there because they will quiet down when they get a hen and they're like, they, they, they don't want any other gobblers knowing these got a hen either because other gobblers come in just like, you know, and take away from them. But I watch that because a lot of times late season, I call it the old maid hen. She's, she don't lay clutches anymore. She don't lay. She just feeds, and he's looking. He's found a hen, and he'll follow her and follow her. And that's when I I use special calls that I build to call the hen to me because that's that's very important is to fire a hen up, especially if she's got a gobbler with her, to get to be able to, to, to deliberately call a hen in. There's different tools I use and the different calls I build. I build a box call that's got a old granny hen raspy call. It's called a little huzzy because of a, a hen that uh, the call was named after this, and I built this call in 1993. I went to my shop, and I had a I had a big, big gobbler, and it was on a pasture. And it, I'd have him come, and he'd be interested. But every time, a hen would come out of the trees behind me, just chew me out, and take him straight away from me every time. And I'd go, had a little huzzy. <laughs> I said, I just can't believe it, you know. And I said, that's terrible. <laughs> I named it that. So anyway, so I said, I've got, and I went to my shop, and I was like, man, my, my call is just not raspy like that. She's got that bottom end raspy. So I played with the, my, my, I built about six, hollowed out about six walnut boxes, found me some good purple heart lid for Billy White. He he was the man. I loved his hustling in box call. So I got me some purple heart, and I went to moving, tilting, and cutting different angles, and cutting the groove, the, what I call the vibration grooves inside a little bit. And I finally got one sounded pretty much like that hen is raspy. And I said, I like that. I said, I'm going to trade that. So that morning, I polished that little call up, and I took it in there. And I knew where he was at. He was in a little island, a little finger that come out into the pasture. And she was usually in the corner to my right. So she, I just was real quiet. She flew down. She was out there. I said, well... And she went straight to him. Well, when I started cranking out, she started cranking right back at me. But she didn't go away this time. she come up there with the ruffle feathers rustled. I was just cutting at her. And she come up there ready to fight. She wanted me to hush, but I sounded enough like her. She knew I was a dominant hen. And she mm-hmm. drug him up within 30 yards, and he got a headache. He weighed 24 pounds. He was a good bird, really good bird. But I, I never would have got him if I wouldn't have thought about that, her being a dominant hen. And I, she never went to nest. She never, she picked, there was another gobbler picked her up, and three days later, another gobbler picked that same hen up, and she stayed in the back of that pasture the whole season, and and, and she never went to nest the whole time. I hunted the other bird, too. So Wow. That's pretty interesting. So then imitating the hen late season works just as well as it does early season and trying to call the whole flock to you then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But what you're doing, you specify, you know, a specific hen because there, there are other hens. But if you've ever noticed a dominant hen, I have her own zone, own area. And mm-hmm. uh, the, these birds, they don't lay anymore. So they'll tie a gobbler up the whole end. You know, you take a week worth of his time and he's, you know, all the other hens are going to nest. It's the only hen he found. He stays right with her. And a lot of dominant gobblers like that, he'll... He'll just stay that, you know, with that the duration. And it's hard to call him in away from her. Now, if you can get him, my, my granddad told me, said, what you need to do is go up there and bust her off the roofs and sit down and yell. You know, that would have worked. That would have worked. Right. Because she'd have flew probably half the county away. But I just, I just, I tried something a little, a little different and it worked. And it's worked a lot, especially when I used to guide for plantations and all. I used to guide a lot. 
you didn't have, you had to get that man a bird. So you had to learn to talk to the hens just as much as you did a gobbler. I mean, because by the time you've gotten on that five, 600-acre piece of property, there's two, you know, birds that's kind of, like I said, two-year-olds or whatever that's that's out running and, and gobbling. You get them pretty quick. You know, the first couple of people get those. Then you got to start right. working on the ones that's tied up with the hens. So I've kind of got off on the subject of, you know, tied up, you know, of, of lockdown birds. But on public land, you're going to run into that because it's so much land. It's scattered. When you run into little pockets of birds, you're going to have that. And uh, right. so it's, it's a lot of walking and a lot of carrying on to try to find, you know, single birds on public land. And it's corn. Now, there's little tracks of public land, but where I went, it's uh, 9,000 acre tracks, you know, up to, up to 40,000 acre tracks. Right. Yeah. I think it's that way throughout most of the southeast. You know, when you go up above the Mason-Dixon line, I think that there's just smaller tracts of land because there's more people. And so the public land opportunities are typically on smaller tracts of land as well. So, yeah, yeah I, I think so. that's pretty common for us to have these big chunks of land. And I think that's part of what is intimidating for a lot of southern hunters is, hey, I'm looking at this 10,000 acre or 15,000 acre tract of trees and dirt. Where in the world am I going to find turkeys on it? And so, you know, I think that that's intimidating for quite a few people. But that kind of leads me a little bit into my next question, because you mentioned it in your last answer, and that is covering ground. And so I know you told me in our last interview that you don't run and gun as much as you used to in a few years ago, but let's go back a few years. Are you running and gunning on public land more in the early season, mid-season, or late season? Or is it going to be the, the same throughout? No, it, early season I'm running and gunning pretty good. I still, these old legs still getting around pretty good when it's, when it's called flat land. <laughs> Any amounts I don't much, but I I run and gun a good bit. If I can get my, especially if I can get my um, my permits lined up where I can drive my golf cart on the gravel roads, you know, just to get me from one point A to point B because I know the land good enough that I can hear him gobbling and I know where to get around to him, you know. But when right. in the in, and when I was, you know, 10, 15, 200 years ago, I used to get out. I could, I could go. If I heard him, I could go. I, I mean, it was. You know, once the dinosaur wasn't in the way of nothing, I could get over that to him. But anyway, I loved I loved running gun because I I you know I've several birds. I mean I've I've you know got where we kill two a day and we our seasons and we kill five a season. So you kill two a day here, and mm-hmm. so if I got one right off the bat, man, I wanted another one. It turkey turkey hunting was addictive. I mean, it was. And next thing I know, my five's done. And I've done my five in four days, you know, for three days, and then I'd be ready to take somebody else's call. I want to go call their birds up, you know. But, right. yeah. yes, if, if if the birds are responsive and there's plenty of birds and you're not, you know. And another thing, too, that slowed me down over the years is that if if I'm working, if I'm on a, in an area and I hear a bird gobbling a lot, I'm pretty sure maybe somebody's calling that bird. And it's, you know, I, I do, the worst feeling in the world is to go up and mess somebody up. And I've done it. I've done it on public land. I've walked up and bumped a bird right off a man. He said, man, he had right. 10 more yards. And that band was furious. And I don't blame him. And, uh, but, so, I, yes, I do run and gun. And the birds, you know, but I've learned that, uh, I've learned over the years now, I want him to do what I want him to do. 
So a lot of times now I sit by a tree and I'll listen and I'll listen to him because I may not get him, go over to him and get him, but I'll listen to what he's doing. And if I know he's moving, he's in a big clear cut, he's moving the edge of that clear cut, the next morning I'll be closer. And I'll know where he went the night before, the day before. And until that bird gets where I know exactly where he's at, what he's doing, I don't even open my mouth. I don't call. When I call, I know where he's at, and I'm pretty pretty sure what he's going to do now. So, But I, I, do, I do like the running gun when I can. Okay. All right. And you're typically doing that more in early season? Yep. Early season because the birds, they, they, they get quieter. And that's something I want to stress that I didn't earlier, but you'll see it in the pattern of a bird is that on the hardwood ridges now your seasons you just the, the blooming of everything the the season of spring has a lot to do with what the birds do if, you, if the food that it produces is like this early season they're scratching digging for dogwood seeds and and little acorns left over and grubs and stuff some in early season even some of the insects aren't out yet so right. where I'm from in South Carolina, what we run into is, uh, I call it the budding season. What happens is about, say, the second week in the season, the dogwood limbs, the, the dogwoods start blooming and all. You know, it's crappy season also. But it's, they start blooming. Well, the, that's right in turkey season. Well, when those blooms start falling off the trees, the little husk, I call it, off the seed after, you know, when it starts pushing out the blooms, that little husk is full of nutrients. And it's laying on top of the ground everywhere you know where it's all over from all kind of trees well the, right. you'll all of a sudden you'll notice that the birds aren't scratching anymore and you think the birds have left well they're not they're walking by and just picking up those husks right off the top of the ground and and they're quiet they're a lot more quiet then because they're feeding a lot and you know that and it looking for sign it's back looking for sign you do not go see as much sign in, during that period and then also what will happen is the food plots that the government plants or the or the you know the grass the grass areas start growing a little bit and then the scarab beetles up here come out when the scarab beetles come out these these turkeys they're running from area to area wherever they find those scarab beetles they love them and mm -hmm. so the feeding pattern will slow down the goblin and all also because the hens though they're going to nest and they're going to eat as much as they can before they go to nest because for long they'll sit on those you know those eggs a lot so, I mean, you know, they're not building up fat enough. Well, they may be. They may be building up fat. But I've just noticed they, they really go to a feed right before they go to nest. Right. Yeah. So you touched on something a couple of times that I think needs to be pointed out, and that is... Okay, so that is all that I have for you guys for the free portion of today's episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast. So... In a minute, I'm going to tell you how you can become a premium subscriber and you can get the rest of the great information that Tony shares with us in this week's interview. But first, I told you guys before I started that interview that I got him fired up. What'd you think? I really think I could have kept Tony on the phone all night long and he probably would not have realized it until he heard that turkey behind his shop gobbling at daylight the next day. And the truth of the matter is, I probably wouldn't have realized it either until the sun came up the next day because I enjoyed the interview so much. Tony, if you're listening to this, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show again. I really do appreciate your sharing of your time and experience with all of us. So as I mentioned earlier, I said that I would let you know how to become a subscriber to the premium content of the Turkey Hunter podcast. And it is very easy. The way to do that is text the word Turkey Hunter. 
to the number 44222. Turkey Hunter with no spaces to the number 44222. Once you do that, I will reply to your text message with a text message that says, please reply with only your email address. Once you do that, I will email you a link that you can click on to register on Podbean to become a premium subscriber to the Turkey Hunter podcast. Now, Podbean is a podcast player application just like iTunes or Google Play Music or Stitcher Radio or any of the other podcast player applications out there. But Podbean is the only place where you can get the premium content for the Turkey Hunter podcast. So when you register on Podbean, you'll sign up with a username and a password, and that is the username and password that you'll have to put into the Podbean app on your device in order to be able to listen to the premium content. So the cost of becoming a subscriber of the premium content is $12 per year. $12 per year is very inexpensive And it is so worth the money. Now, I'm done with today's show, except that I have two favors to ask of you this week. Number one, go by Tony's Facebook page and give it a like and leave a comment on his page. Just telling him thanks for coming on today's episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast. And if you're looking for a turkey call or two, then you probably want to consider buying one or two from Tony. Not only is he a great guy but he is a great call maker as well. Favor number two, don't forget to hit me up if you're going to be in Nashville at the convention this weekend. 205-201-1448. I look forward to hearing from you and meeting you at the show. Now, where is my fork? Because we're done. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week and... I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.